this is what makes me crazy. They are taking a technology that allows you to disintermediate and remove this ability to censor, and they create silos within their own networks with this technology. Welcome to the Swiss Road to Crypto monthly review for the month of March 2023. I'm joined as usual by Alex Polterak, co-founder of Hodling SA, and by Mauro Capiello, co-founder of Blockchain Innovation Group. Hodling SA offers a completely non-custodial multi-signature wallet solution for storing, for storing large amounts of Bitcoin for institutional holders, family offices, and individuals. Blockchain Innovation Group enables companies to run their businesses faster, cheaper, and safer by using technologies like blockchain and distributed ledger technology. In this episode, we will discuss major headlines relating to the following subjects. Bank closings in the US and in Switzerland and implications for the crypto industry, and attacks by CFDT on Binance and the SEC on Coinbase. If you enjoyed this episode and you think you learned something new, the best way to show support is by sending in sats over the Lightning Network. If you already have a Lightning wallet, you can contribute directly with a one-off payment by sending sats to my Lightning address that is in the show notes. Or you can download a, a podcasting 2.0 app like Breeze or Fountain that allows you to stream sats as you listen. If you don't already have sats, you can buy them directly in those apps. You can also contribute directly in fiat with a credit card or Apple Pay. To do that, follow the link in the show notes. Furthermore, don't hesitate to leave any comments on, in the show notes or on social media, and don't hesitate to share this episode with your friends, either by email or social media. Your comments and contributions are helpful. They signal to me what you appreciate and what you don't. And I will mention all the contributions and comments in the following podcasts to recognize your contribution. Thank you. So good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, Mauro. Good afternoon, both of you, and welcome back. <laughs> Alex, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay. So let's jump right into it. Let's start with the first headline, which was Credit Suisse. So even though I'm not really that much into talking about fiat, that's not really the point here. We have to nonetheless mention it. So of course, via Credit Suisse was absorbed by UBS, and that was a bit of an earthquake in Switzerland. And so I'll even give a quote by Mauro Casellini, who was the former CEO of Bitcoin Swiss at Liechtenstein. He was surprised as well. He said there had been signs for some time that things were not going smoothly at Credit Suisse. It was difficult for outsiders to see just how critical the situation was. It is too early to say whether this is the right solution, but the sheer size of the new superbank is impressive and regulatory pressure is likely to increase. Uh, I would like to mention something that I saw on LinkedIn, and this was a LinkedIn post by Alexis Roussel. Even though I'm not always a fan of social media because I find it often way too much noise and not enough signal, this I did find was signal. He reposted a headline, Alexei Roussel reposted a headline of 2017, where we see Tijam Tiam, who at the time was CEO of Credit Suisse, saying that Bitcoin is certainly a bubble. So Mauro, I suppose, what are your impressions? You were very surprised. What effect do you think it will have on the crypto industry? 
you want to start? I, I, I was surprised <clears throat> that UBS took it over because I thought, you know, the there would be all these, you know, this competitor or monopoly stuff guys will come in and say, no, no, no. But uh, as we heard in the press conference, the, you know, Fidma and these guys, they could just overrule them. So that was kind of <laughs> dumb. And I guess um, it was so critical, maybe not even in Switzerland, it was probably critical for the US and, and UK industry, financial industries that Switzerland had to act. I haven't looked at it in detail, but that's kind of my takeaway. It was an external pressure, which was obviously finally triggering this to prevent any big issue outside of Switzerland. Generally speaking, Credit Suisse was also quite involved in, in crypto, more from a security token point of view. You know, they had their own infrastructure, DLT infrastructure. So obviously, it, it, yeah, they were at SDX. They, they did a few things and they just invested, you know, 65 million with a few others into Boros, uh, you know, the DLT custody infrastructure out of, I think, Geneva, right, Alex? So The interesting part is that you're talking strictly DLT and no Bitcoin, no Ethereum, no, no stable coins, nothing of the quote-unquote real crypto world. No, no. I'm talking about, you know, the, the leverage of financial service using blockchain DLT for improving their own processes, <laughs> which yeah, is security yeah. token trading and post-trading. No, but that's where, as far as I know, that's where they were uh, active. They were active. Now, the impact, I hope, for Taurus that they got the 65 millions before this, because otherwise this could have now, you know, a negative impact for them. <laughs> So, so, you know, so basically it does have an impact on the blockchain industry, but I would say more in, in within Switzerland, SDX, as well as other players, uh, that, that's, you know, that's that. Then I think back to, yes, what was it? Alexis? Yeah, absolutely right. I think, you know, these guys at Credit Suisse probably having highs and lows and, and just kind of like didn't care much, I think, in the last years. I also heard they didn't want money from the government when UBS got it. They didn't probably do the structural changes that UBS did. That's probably how why they are now where they ended where they ended. And I think just yeah, that's it from my side. I think from a you know Bitcoin point of view, yes, I'm definitely looking to see what Bitcoin will do when we reach the 21 million. But I was listening to a podcast from Ark Invest. There was a, a guy there talking to the lady who owns ARK Invest, and he was saying he thinks, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrency are fantastic. Uh, they should be, you know, they should be really kind of be not seen as crypto. But what he said is it's not about the amount of tokens or, or coins you really mine. It's about the value. And the value at the end is the key thing to, to kind of make it happen. And, you know, he was not an expert. He was talking you know, why can we not have a crypto which is stable? And please don't don't use US dollar as a as an asset back form of, of stable coins because then we are where we are now. I think we discussed that in the past as well. So I thought it's probably worthwhile listening to this podcast. I, I can, can send you the link, which really talks kind of brings the crypto value in a much different and but more appropriate center of what it should be. Do you think UBS is going to be much less open to crypto than Credit Suisse was? 
think QBS is also very active in the security token space. They are active in STX. I'm sure they're also active with wholesale, uh, CBDC, and these kind of things. I have heard, not too many times, but I have heard that companies do get accounts with them. But purely crypto, I, I have not heard a lot about that. Alex? So at least UBS as a company doing transactions with crypto, with other crypto companies, like brokers. Credit Suisse was like very strictly disallowing any transaction to Swiss broker. While UBS, at least for up to now, was allowing most of the stuff to happen. They told some clients, like, there is risk involved, but they let them do it at the end. Credit Suisse didn't even let to do it. But maybe I can also react a little bit to this Credit Suisse thing. So the overruling by FINMA, I hope that we will hear a bit more about and talk a bit more about this because it's totally crazy. And honestly, from the perspective of some someone born in ex-USSR, this is really, really heading to nationalization. The next step, like what, who, who can buy UBS if it goes wrong? Next step is nationalization. And it's this the is government, really... right? Sorry? It's the government yep. again. Yeah. Well, certainly, I think the problem is in size, it's risk, and the size is very big, plus there are a lot of risks. So I certainly imagine that the Swiss authorities are little by little going to break up UBS into various parts to take out the risky parts. If you just have a big bank that does some private banking and a little bit of lending, it's not too risky. Yeah, but so, you know, this is, you You talked about competition low, uh, the Comco in Switzerland, the... Yeah, anti-monopoly yeah, commission. Yeah. It's very difficult to split something that you allow to be merged at the first uh, in first place. So normally the, the merge shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, yeah. I think that as they made an exception for merging it, they'll make an exception for splitting it. But yeah. yeah, anyway, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, go then, ahead. So you're, wor also, you're worried about that? And go ahead. Then also what I see is that we have more and more distance and it becomes more and more obvious the difference between the crypto industry that deals Bitcoin, Ether, stablecoins, and other cryptocurrencies, and all this DLT space where they're using parts of the blockchain technology, so to say, or DLT, to enhance their own internal processes. And honestly, it's uh, like, I think it's of zero interest because at the end they control the monetary policy and that's the entire purpose of block of bitcoin and the blockchain technology as used in bitcoin to remove this power from people from like a central group of humans and to redistribute this power so that it becomes really really difficult to change and that you need a consensus to change it on the stables yeah we will talk about stables later but, but quickly, Alex, yeah, on this, right? Now, I think it was it was interesting, right? This guy said, okay, great, you know, you have 21 million and, you know, it's, it's rule-based and stuff, which is good. But how do we ensure that the value of Bitcoin is going to be, you know, something that people can really rely on over time? 
And yeah, I think nobody, nobody can ensure any value. People can try to manipulate things to so value comes from from your trust. Yeah. And and this trust can be technology based or based on people who manipulate these numbers. One more suggestion. He said, look, I'm sure there are many people who have Bitcoin who have enough to kind of keep it stable, right? And you know, it's kind of like a market maker function, which let's say a community could take. They they already do it, and seriously, Bitcoin pairs, Bitcoin pairs on exchanges are the only ones that do not have paid market makers. It's people doing arbitrage, and there yeah. are so many that it, they are doing better work than any paid market maker. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I listened to that podcast as well. The fellow was Arthur Laffer, but I was, but I, I was less impressed than you. I was less impressed than you, not because I dislike him, but because in fact he makes the same two fundamental sort of thinking errors that everybody makes because they have to get a new idea in their head. And those two fundamental errors are: he was saying, "I don't want the quantity to be limited; I want the value to be limited." And my question is: Yeah, you want the value to be limited against what? It's because you're measuring exactly. it in dollars. Because your unit of account is dollars, you're still thinking in dollars. The value is is constant. It's constant in Bitcoin. It's various. It's variable in dollars. But then again, he's saying, as you said, he wants a market maker. I want a market maker to always give me the constant spread. Ah, so you want control back into a central party. That's the whole point. And then he'll tell. Then he doesn't tell you he doesn't trust the U.S. government. We got to get away from the dollar. So he had these two fundamental contradictions that most people have because it's very difficult to get out of your head that there's a central entity and you measure things in dollars and there's somebody you can go to, and on the, then you don't. Then the whole problem is you gave too much power to one certain central party and you want to take it away from them. And that's the whole point of Bitcoin is you distribute it to everybody so nobody controls. So. Exactly. Yes. Okay. To, to his little defense, he, he obviously said, "Look, all these technicians. Why can you not build in something which is going to stabilize the value?" So he's not necessarily saying he's not necessarily saying, "Hey, we need market maker." And that. Because said, value is so abstract. Because value is a very, very, very abstract concept, and it's it's either you install it by magic, by power, or it has to to be organic and. Then yeah, it may be fluctuating, but also stable toward what? As as Didier mentioned, like usually people intend stable to US dollar, but nowadays if you live in Europe, USD is is a kind of shitcoin that lost twenty percent or more. I don't remember. So stable probably means stable toward your regional currency or currencies. And mostly stable to products and services that you are you are buying and using. And honestly, uh, yeah. Okay, it's... but okay, but again, if you, the purpose of Bitcoin was not to be a store of value, right? I think initially. Why? I think it was it, it was thought. It was thought as a okay, yeah. Initially, I'll agree. Initially, it was a peer-to-peer means of payment, but it has become a store of value, and especially for people in the West. Okay, honestly, honestly, I hate this narrative of store of value because it's hiding the other aspects. And money, all good money, is all of these three things: store of value, unit of account, and mean of payment. That's good money. But you can come to those three from different ends, 
and it seems that Bitcoin, like it, it the easiest part to to understand and to get first is the store of value, and then, for example, at the at the end of emission of the twenty one million Bitcoin, and even a few halvings before, because the supply is now stable. I guess the currency will also be much more stable. Yeah. That's my personal guess. Or less volatile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> we can continue like this for a while. DT is not not convinced. <laughs> that what? Well, let's go. Uh, well, I'm I'm convinced that it takes a long, long time for people to change their their mentality, and it's been ingrained for so long in a certain way. So that takes time. I was going to move it on a little bit. I was going to speak a little bit about stablecoins because I was also listening to another podcast that was quite good, uh, sponsored by USDC and how they're using USDC for financing and. In Latin America, and the, the the two takeaways I took from that is still, not, you know, Bitcoin is way too complicated for most people, and ninety nine percent of people on the face of the earth still consider dollar to be the store of value and the stable coin, and that's what they want. However, what I took away from this podcast for financing, which is comes back a little bit to what we were saying before, is that in fact the most important quality that these people were getting with public accounts held on a blockchain and people using USDC as a means of payment in their companies is that in fact all the audit, all the accounts of the and the financial situation of a company are clearly visible on a blockchain and I think what we are complaining about with either Credit Suisse or banks in the US is opacity and lack of transparency and I think in the in the near term, people will move to stable coins in the beginning because it creates transparency. And and I can very well imagine that you know nowadays when you do a CFA, you study you know accounting and credit analysis of a bank of a company and their and their balance sheet and their and their financial statements. And few people know how to do that on blockchain. And very soon, it's going to be much more useful to be able to read a blockchain and analyze the quality of the credit of a company that would use a lot of, say, USDC, than 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 ask for the audit from from Price Waterhouse that nobody really trusts anymore. <laughs> I'm not I'm not very very bullish on this on this future. So first of all, companies doesn't does not really want this kind of transparency and are not used to live with this kind of transparency, nor the people. So also it's like that currently, that full transparency, because it's technologically easier for now. So for example, Bitcoin started as a fully transparent blockchain to make the, the monetary supply sound and fully verifiable and every single transaction to be fully verifiable. Because back then it was it was not like very certain if it's possible to do it in a privacy preserving way. Since then we had experiences like experimentations like Zcash or Monero. We have now zero knowledge proofs in Ethereum. So Theoretically, we we can already do some, like to some extent, more anonymous transaction on Ethereum, and it will increase. We have second layers that also allows more privacy. So I think that 
the main use usage will move to those privacy layers because it's more normal for for users they don't expect all of their transactions like how can you be a company and make all your transactions to your subcontractors and clients fully visible to everyone yeah how much how much information do you want to give away to your competitor you know yeah so on one and thanks i forgot to to mention also so one thing is full transparency to everyone and something completely different is being able to prove cryptographically to the ones that you want to reveal to be able to prove them the full history so for example for auditors you will be able to even with zcash or monero you can create a cryptographic proof of all of your transactions and reveal it to someone of your choice but it's not just visible publicly to to everyone how long before this is incorporated into a university degrees or cfas i think we're still far away from that i think the people who who understand that we are we are going in this direction i mean to adoption of these technologies they they are already quite aware and doing the right stuff I was going to discuss what happened in the US. It's always a little bit along the same lines. So three crypto banks in the US went uh, went belly up. So Silvergate, which was a sort of a, a bank that a lot of crypto firms use to send dollars to to buy crypto. All the deposits will be fully repaid, but they will be liquidated. I think they got caught up a little bit in the FTX problem. There's Signature Bank. And this, so Signature Bank, I thought was quite significant because Signature Bank, one of the people on the board was Barney Frank. And Barney Frank, he wrote the Dodd-Frank Act in 2008 after the banking crisis to reduce risk in banks. And he specifically says that he thinks they closed down Signature because it's related to crypto. So a quote from his, Frank, for his part, was quick to suggest that Signature was the victim of a political attack telling CNBC on Monday that regulators wanted to send a very strong anti-crypto message. The New York Department of Financial Services pushed back on this assertion, saying that it had a crisis of confidence. But in an interview, Frank argued back, explained why he blames regulators for unreasonably putting Signature Bank out of business and what he really thinks about banking crypto and defended himself against critics. Uh, further, various sources have now said that Signature, the person who would buy Signature Bank must agree to give up its its crypto business. So uh, so there's, there's that, and there's a little bit the idea of Silicon Valley Bank, and Silicon Valley Bank doesn't really have much to do with crypto. It's again a little bit maybe this idea of, of lack of transparency. Their, their problem was risk management. My understanding was that uh, Silicon Valley was that circle, USDC, was a client of that. That yes. was my recollection. Yes, they did have some money there, but they've just said that it's all been, they can guarantee. Yeah, they know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now if there you look not, at there's Coinbase, no impact, yeah. yes, the, the value of the C of USDC did go down to like 92 cents at one point, but now it's back up to 99 cents. So, yeah, there was a little bit of a scare on it at one point, but that, that went away. 
Also, two things that are a bit anti-crypto in the U.S. is that Binance is being attacked by the CFDC and that Coinbase has gotten other Wells notice and that we know as well that Grayscale is going to probably sue the SEC because they can't get their ETF and they think that's unjustified. So all this a little bit, in my opinion, confirms what my friend in Florida says, that he thinks that behind the scenes, it's basically the lobbies of Wall Street banks who are putting pressures on these regulatory agencies to go after crypto-related banks because classic banks realize that they're a little bit behind the game. Uh, and all this is relatively good for Switzerland because I was going to give you a quote by Dominic Castelli, who's a chief marketing officer at Sigmund, who says that over the past week, quoting, as the current banking industry events, unf events unfolded, we have seen significant increase in onboarding inquiries from various international locations, including a number from the UAE and the Middle East. So that's at Sigmund Bank in Switzerland. So, voila. Seriously, maybe significant is 1020, I don't know, but, but you know, uh, for banking, it's very, very reg regional. If like we, we have support in Switzerland for USD, for Euro, but it's not the same support as uh, like a good European bank on the SEPA network. On the inst providing like instant SEPA and all the other services. So, for example, financial intermediaries like crypto brokers or exchanges, they need like the, the good and fast service and cheap service. Signum is not really providing this to my knowledge, at least. Okay. So, it's not really a choice, like a good choice for a crypto exchange. Well, it could drive lots of company to relocate their headquarters to Switzerland, right? Because they would, you know, feel more safe that they're not going to be basically shut down, you know, or impacted to be shut to to kind of lose their business overnight. Yeah, but this makes, could happen, right? It makes the business much more complicated because, for example, for a U.S. citizen wire. It would take a few days instead of almost instant. That's true. So I'm just saying, but you know, for some of these companies to continue to operate, they have to change the restriction, right? Because yeah, it, it's, it's, it looks like they're not going to be safe anymore. Or not safe. I mean, if they do wrong things, they should not be safe. But if they do things based on their what they remit, they shouldn't be kind of exposed to that. You know uncertainty right mm -hmm. sure but if it's really an attack on crypto companies from the u.s government and i think it it is if it's the case then even any swiss bank for u.s dollar would have i don't remember how it's called the connection bank intermediary bank in in u.s correspondent correspondent, correspondent bank. bank yeah thank you mm -hmm. And that correspondent bank obviously would block U.S. Yeah. company from from doing any that, business. This is uh, this is actually situations that we have today, where banks who obviously have a U.S. dollar correspondent are not allowed to service any crypto clients. Right? You see, For, you see, Mauro, this is what makes me laughing like uh, crazy. They are taking a technology that allows you to disintermediate and remove this ability to censor any financial transaction and they create silos within their own networks with this technology it's completely oh. nuts 
Yeah. Okay. But, you know, again, remember, just clearly anybody who doesn't want to, is against or wants to hinder the industry will, will go to the on-ramp and off-ramp. Right, mm-hmm. sure. Service providers, and then kind of catch them, right, or or stop them. Yeah, this is another change in mentality that needs to happen. The censoring only comes on the on and off ramp, and yeah, that also takes a little bit of time to get the idea yes. that you're not going to come off. <laughs> Plus, everybody to go on goes on through an official ramp in general. You know, people sell Swiss francs or dollars to buy it. They don't anyway. They don't get it through work or something. Thank you, gentlemen. I think we'll leave it there for today. Thanks. I'm looking forward for the next call and session. Thanks. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode and you think you learned something new, the best way to show support is by sending in sats over the Lightning Network. If you already have a Lightning wallet, you can contribute directly with a one-off payment by sending sats to my Lightning address that are in the show notes. Or you can download a podcasting 2.0 app like Breeze or Fountain that allows you to stream sats as you listen. Finally, if you want to contribute in fiat, you can do that with a credit card or with Apple Pay. There's also a link for that in the show notes. Finally, don't hesitate to leave a comment either in the show notes or on social media. And don't hesitate to share this episode on social media. Thank you.